0: Loved ones, what a joy it is to be back worshiping with you all. Oh, I missed you so much. I've been praying for you. Our church has been praying for you. Uh, We love you. And uh, what what a joy it is to be back in our second home right here. Uh, As Ted mentioned, uh, by God's grace, we had the privilege of serving on staff here for three years. And uh, Pastor Chris and Ted are some of my closest friends. And uh, what a joy it is to continue to see the Lord at work building his church. Hey, hey, the times we live in may be crazy, huh? But God's not done building his church. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen, that's right. We're here because Jesus Christ promises true that he will continue to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. All right, let's go. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. As you turn there, I have a question for you, and it is this, church family. Ready? Eyes up here. Eyes up here. Where is your focus today? Where is your focus? Let's break it down a little bit more. What are your eyes, what is your mind focused on? What goal are you focused today on moving towards? What is that for you? Just take a second. Even write it down if that's helpful. And you say, why is it so important? Especially today, with so much going on around us, why is this question, answering it day by day, literally, moment by moment, so important? Here's why you'll see it on the screen. Quite simply, your focus determines your direction. I'll say it again. Your focus, my focus, determines your direction and mine. You say, what do you mean by that? Okay, put your hand up here if uh, any of you watched the Summer Olympics last year. Did anyone watch any of the Summer Olympics at all? Yeah, yeah, okay, we got some Olympians in the room. So, here's the thing though. Uh, There's a lot of great sports, but hands down, my favorite... My family's favorite is track and field. Anyone else like track and field? Anyone? Yeah, come on, come on. You know, the 100-meter sprint, then the 200-meter, and then the 4x100 relay, and oh, one of the joys it is to gather the kids together, put on that 100-meter sprint. It's like the pinnacle event, right? Well, here, here's, here's what, why that's so important. We can take a lot from that, do you notice, I used to coach track and field. And so one of the things you always want to tell your athletes is, you see there in the starting blocks, where's the focus of that runner? Where's, where's his eyes? Where's, what's he looking at? He's not like, hey, nice shoes, man. He's not like, hey, you've got nice shoes. His eyes, where are they? They're focused. He's in the starting block. He's ready. And then once that starting pistol goes... Boom. Those first 20 meters are what's called your drive phase. And so your center of gravity is low to the ground. You want to keep your runners low to the ground. Keep their eyes down to the ground to get their speed up, get their momentum. And then after those first 20 meters, guess where their eyes go? You'll see it on the screen next. Where's their eyes? They're focused on the finish line. He's focused on the goal. They're not running Be like, hey mom, can I get a hey, selfie? Like, he's not doing that. He's not looking at the next runner beside him in the lane being like, hey, what do you think you're doing? Why, why is that? Why is that? Because your focus determines your direction. And if you start looking that way into that lane, guess where you're going? You say, well, I'm not a track and field runner. That doesn't relate to me. Okay, question. Have you ever driven a car? I mean, we had a few of these moments a couple days ago coming down here where you're driving along and you see someone you know, or you see those, I don't know why they put those billboards on the, on the highway. They just take your eyes off the road. Lethal. And you're driving along and you say, hey, there's Billy over there, and you're coming back because your eyes have left the road. And maybe you're like, well, I haven't ever driven a car. Have you ever tried a bike? same thing all pointing to the same thing the truth that we see from this and we see from our text today is that you have to focus on where you want to go especially when it comes to persevering and finishing faithfully the spiritual race that has been entrusted to us by our Lord Jesus Christ you have to focus on where you want to go now There's a problem that you and I face today. You faced it this morning, so did I. You'll face it when you leave these doors. Maybe you're facing it right now, wanting to look at your phone. Here's the problem. We often live with the wrong focus, don't we? Let's be honest, it's church. We often live with the wrong focus, don't we? We often live distracted from Jesus. You see, even as Christians, instead of looking to and focusing on Jesus Christ and knowing him and growing in him and glorifying him and running the race that he set before us, what do we do? We so often will focus on and live for lesser things. The very common focus of this world. Living for the things of this world. Here's some examples to get our minds going on this. Money. Money. In this climate of economic uncertainty, isn't it so easy to focus on the funds as our primary goal? How about this? Our jobs, or even, here, here, let's get personal, ourselves, our control over situations. I gotta just have control, I can't, because if that happens, I gotta make sure every scenario is covered, and here we focus on our convenience. Our comfort? Yeah, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as I can stay in my comfort zone. And what's the result of focusing? Eyes off the Lord. Eyes off the goal. Eyes onto these things. We do it every day. Here's the common cycle we see. Maybe in your life. And we definitely see it in our world. Ready? Leads to distraction from Jesus. You'll see it on the screen. Write that down. Distraction from Jesus. Well, yeah, you know what? I'll abide in Jesus later. I've got a few more important things to take care of. He's not going to be my first priority on this one. Leads to distraction. We have to understand, where does distraction lead to? In this common cycle, is disinterest in Jesus. The more distracted we become from Jesus, the more disinterested we are in Jesus. It's like, nah, I'll compromise a little bit. You know, you know, I'll get back to following Jesus faithfully when the pandemic's over. When there's not the conflicts going on. When the economic uncertainty is relieved. Then I'll get back. But I just got hey, hey, students, we have a lot of students in our church in Ottawa. Praise the Lord. How about at exam time? I'll just get back to my quiet time and abiding in Jesus once the exam's over. But the textbooks will take his place until then. It leads to disinterest. What what does disinterest lead to? Apathy in our walk with the Lord. Where's the fervency? Where's the urgency in the church? Urgency in following Christ. Urgency in our giving. Urgency in our proclamation. Urgency in our witness. That's what happens when the eyes come off the Lord. And what does that lead to? Deception. We open ourselves up to a whole lot of deception. We start believing the lies of this world. Distraction leads to disinterest. Look at, look at the dissent here. Leads to deception. We start to compromise on the truth. Not testing messages through the word of God. Because it's not on our hearts. It's not the priority. And then what does that lead to? Despair. Despair. Hopelessness. Anyone felt like over the last two years you've been tempted with despair? All this darkness, all this... All this hurt, all this anger, all this division. Man, we got to keep our eyes on the Lord, don't we, church? It's so easy to sit in despair and be like, it'll never get better. God's word can't be trusted. If he was really good, why would all this happen? Just despair, despair, because we're feeding ourselves lies. And then what does that ultimately lead to, church? Defeat. Well, this is just the way it is. And then we go down into this deep, Deep descent. See where distraction leads us? Say, I heard it said once, the devil doesn't have to destroy a Christian to render them ineffective. He just has to distract them. This is why. And this is what the Hebrew church is facing here today. This sense of defeat. The sense of despair. But, but can I just encourage us? Because, man, if that's where it left us, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But I want to encourage us with this. Ready? Ready? Jesus has a better way. Say that with me. Jesus has a better way. He got a better way. He's got a better way. And what does that look like? Here's the uncommon way of Christ that leads not to distraction from him, but focus on him. You'll see it on the screen. It leads to a focus on him. Tethering to him, clinging to him, eyes fixed, no matter what's going on in this world. Yes, we don't ignore it, we don't minimize it, but we see it in light of him. His promises, his power, his word, his character. There is not distraction from him, but an increasing focus. And that leads to not disinterest increasing, fervency. Fervency, passion, urgency for the gospel, and not apathy. These are wonderful days for the gospel of Jesus Christ, loved ones. Are we fervent to go after Christ in them? And it doesn't just stop at fervency. Instead of leading to a descending staircase into deception, it leads to the truth. We cling to the truth. The more fervent and passionate and love we are with Jesus, the more we want to know him. The more we want to grow and be like him. And that leads not to despair, but to increasing faith. Would anyone like say, Lord, increase my faith today? Yes. Yes, Lord. Increase my faith, the faith that without which it's impossible to please you. And then, it doesn't stop at faith. Instead of defeat, leaving us in defeat, look where it leads. Perseverance in our walk and victory. Praise the Lord. Where's your focus, loved ones? Where is your focus? Here's the big idea for the text we unpacked today. To persevere in faith, our focus must be on Jesus, right there. That's it. Write that down. Put it on your mirror, in your bathroom, whatever, on your visor, in your car, and memorize it. To persevere in faith, our focus must be on Jesus or going into the other lane. And here in our text today, we're going to see two essential truths that we must believe and increasingly live out in his power by faith because we cannot white-knuckle this, church. Two truths we must believe and increasingly live out in in Christ's power by faith if we are to live with the uncommon focus Jesus calls us to, persevering in faith and seeing his presence, power, and glory in and through his church. You ready to Go. I know we read this scripture already. Let's do it again. Hebrews chapter 12. Jesus, founder and perfecter of our faith. Therefore, the writer says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run. With endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords and there is none like you. Lord Jesus, you have all authority in heaven and on earth, which has been given to you by the Father. Lord Jesus, you are sovereign, kind, loving, gentle, patient, powerful, transcendent, and yet completely imminent. Help us to know you more today. Help us to love you more today. Refocus our eyes, our minds, and our hearts upon you today in this world that is crazy right now and yet sovereignly under your control. Lord, right now as we prepare to open your word, I pray there just be a time of release. You say, cast your anxiety on you because you care for us. And so in this moment, I pray we just cast, Lord, I'm anxious about, I'm distracted with what? And we just lay that in front of you right now. Holy Spirit of God, would you fill me with your power, your understanding, your unction, and your utterance today. Speak so clearly, speak intimately to every person in this room and online. Please, Lord, help us to love you more. In Jesus' mighty name, get all the glory we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go, loved ones. To persevere in faith, we must have an uncommon focus. What does this look like? Running the race with determination. Running the race with determination. Hey, Christian, eyes up here. I want to encourage you with this. Ready? Just a simple truth, but life-changing. God is faithful. Just remember this. God is faithful. How many of you sitting right there are just like, okay, I just need to hear that. I'm good for the rest of the week, right? <laughs> Hold on. There's some more here from God's word, words. Really good. So Christian, remember that God is faithful. But the question that comes from that, that confronts us with that is this. Will you and I run with determination in light of God's faithfulness? In light of his character, will we run in determination? All right, let's get our context here. Here we are, first century, 70 A.D. Now, we don't know the author of Hebrews, but we do know the author is writing to the church that is made up of Hebrew or Jewish Christians. And we don't know where this church was located, but we do know this church is in danger. Same danger we face today, only looks a little bit different. The persecution is increasing and intensifying. The opposition is intensifying, and and specifically for the book of Hebrews, it's coming from the Jews. The church is made up of believers here who, get this, maybe some of us feeling this way. They're fearful. They're fearful. They're weary. Anyone feeling weary over the last two years? I felt weary at times. They're anxious and they're tempted. Here's the danger. They're tempted to cast aside their identification with Jesus and his church and to not persevere or endure in their faith and following him. But instead, here's what they're tempted to do. The pressure's coming from the legalistic Jews. Here they come. They're tempted to cast aside their identification with Jesus and his church and not persevere, but instead run back to the Old Testament sacrificial system and the rituals of the Jews to save them. What are we talking about here? This was salvation based on external works. Keeping dietary laws. Holy days of the week. They're getting pressured. And they're like, can we trust the gospel? Can we trust that Jesus overall? And the pressure's on. And they're tempted and they're wavering. But notice how the writer sets up chapter 12. What did he just bring us, or she bring us through? Ready? What did they bring us through? Chapter 11. Chapter 11, they've just provided a list of examples of faithful men and women who persevered in their faith in the trials they faced. This was the heroes of the faith, the hall of faith. And the writer uses them as their basis for giving these weary Jewish Christians confidence and urging readers to press on and hold fast, remain faithful to Jesus with this uncommon focus. And not set their hope in anyone or anything else that is ultimately powerless to deliver them. Look at this, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded, writer says, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, so the picture here the writer paints is this. This is a picture of believers are like athletes. Athletes in a race. In a stadium. I want you to picture like the Rogers Center or some other stadium. And they're running in. Only the picture here is a spiritual race, not a physical one. Okay? Spiritual race. And the stadium. Picture this, love. Just close your eyes. Picture this. That stadium filled. The stadium is filled with Old Testament saints who've gone before them. Just filled. And the writer says, therefore, believers, you who are weary, faithful, fearful, anxious, discouraged, tempted to doubt in light of the faithfulness of God that you have seen and heard about through the lives of faithful saints in the past. Here he says, press on in the faith. In light of what I've just unpacked for you in chapter 11 and how you see God's faithfulness and God at work, press on in the faith. Keep running the race. Hold fast, Hope Mississauga. Hold fast. There is a cloud of witnesses. The word witnesses there in the original language means a large multitude, a numberless wrong that is surrounding us and whose lives of faith encourage us to live by faith and press on. Press on just as they have. They have gone before you. They are eyewitnesses to the faithfulness and goodness and trustworthiness to the love and power and glory of God at all times and all things. And now they are in heaven. In the presence of God, declaring He is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Let God, here's what the writer is saying let God's work in their lives inspire you and encourage you to press on into the Lord and press on no matter what you're facing. You say, okay, let's, let's unpack this, because we gotta understand, drill it down. Here, he gives the example of Abraham and Sarah in verses eight to 12 of chapter 11. Abraham and Sarah, you'll see them on the screen, there they are, okay? They obeyed God, recall, and they left their homeland with their family, not even knowing where they were going. God visits Abraham one day and he says, hey, Abraham, it's time to pack up. It's time to pack up. Abraham's like, where am I going? God's I like, just start going. It's time to pack up. I'll lead you where you're going. Like, imagine that. No return address given not like you're going to be on your family's christmas card list or anything else think about it just start going i'm with you just start going and and yet god led them he provided for them and brought them to the promised land the land of canaan As he said he would. And he didn't just stop there. He also made another promise to Abraham that he would be the what? Father of many nations. Fulfilled that too. And how did he do that? By giving Sarah, there she is. (laughs) By giving Sarah there the power to conceive even though she was barren. And even though, as the writer of Hebrews just drives this home in verse 12, in chapter 11, even though Abraham was so old, it says he was as good as dead. There you go. As good as dead. Hey, can I, can I encourage us here today, loved ones? If you're not dead, God's not done with you. Let's say it again. If you're not dead, God's not done with you. Still not convinced of God's faithfulness? Let's go, Moses. Moses. Verses 23 to 29 in chapter 11. Writer walks him through Moses' story. Remember, Moses called to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, here's the thing about Moses we got to understand. Moses was not like the creme de la creme of spiritual leadership, what we think of. okay? He's not. He's not hitting anyone's top five list for leaders of the day. Moses has been tending sheep for 40 years. That's what he's heard. For 40 years okay, and (laughs) you've been looking after sheep, and then remember the burning bush? God calls him to go to Egypt, and God would deliver his people through Moses, but notice what Moses did in the burning bush there in Exodus 3. He gave every excuse as to why he shouldn't go. How many of us are giving excuses to God today? No, I can't do that. It's too hard. It would cost too much. It would be. How many of us are just given excuses? Look, and I love this. He gives God every excuse. He goes, "Hey, hey don't you remember <laughs> Moses had a bad reputation? He he had a rep of being a killer. He's like, if I go back, they're going to take me out because I killed the Egyptian." He says. I can't speak, he tells God. And I love in God's sovereignty this one, huh? He says, Moses, I'm not of eloquent language. I don't have all the oratory skills or things like that. And I love the Lord's response. He goes, who made your mouth, Moses? Who made your mouth? You're going to speak exactly what and how I tell you to speak because I'm going to do that. It's not based on you based on my faithfulness. And then Moses is like, well, I don't have any ability. I don't have any special skills. I don't have any power. And the Lord's like, throw down your staff, and I'll show you. Put your hand in your pocket, and I'll show you. And then finally, we get to the root of it. Moses' last excuse. And he says, just send someone else. I don't want to go. But he followed God by faith. And he saw the sea open up and the most powerful army in the world defeated and God's day and night provision of pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, manna from heaven, quail from the sky, water from rocks for two million people in the desert for 40 years. Who is like our God? You press on, church. You press on. You might not see it, You might not see what God's doing. Oh, he's at work. He's at work. And then, okay, one more. One of my personal favorites, my kid's personal favorite, Samson. Samson. Have any of you ever wondered in verse 32, you're like, why is Samson in the hall of faith? Everyone ever wondered? Well, here's why this beautiful picture of Samson is so important in the hall of faith. Samson, the story of Samson is a beautiful picture of God's grace all over the life of this man. Samson was chosen by God as a judge for Israel and delivered to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. But here's the thing about Samson. He rejected God, turned away, and was brought to humiliation in a Philistine jail cell with no eyes. He had his eyes plucked out. See what God did there? Samson had to lose his eyes before he could finally start to see rightly. His focus had to come back. And yet, notice this. Though Samson turned his back on God, God never turned away from him. Who is like our God? Though Samson, maybe you're here today and you've turned your back on God. And you're like, I can't, I can't go back. I'm engaged in all this stuff. I'll tell you right now, God has not turned his back from you. Come to him. Come to him. Why? Here. Because you can't outrun God's grace. You and I cannot outrun God's grace. God's grace is so clearly seen. And when Samson turned back to God in faith, God gave him the strength to defeat the enemy. And there's so many more, the writer says. There's a a multitude, a great cloud, a numberless throng of these witnesses all saying the same thing. Keep going, weary saint. Keep going, church. Run the race. We know it can get hard, but God is faithful and he is worth it all. Keep going, church. Run with that determination. And and you know what's beautiful? You don't have to stop in Hebrews 11 as I look around this room right now. Many tribes and tongues and nations, it's a beautiful picture of the community of heaven. We see another group of witnesses, don't we? That if we went around this room, we can testify to the faithfulness of God again and again and again. This is why we don't forsake meeting together to stir one another up to love and good deeds. If we want to stay hot, we got to stay close to the fire. Amen? Come on, Christian, remember that God is faithful. Will you run with determination? And you may say this, well, how do I do this? What does it even look like? A determined run that Jesus outlines for us. Glad you asked. Check this out. You see it right in the text, verse one. He says the first thing. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight we gotta lay aside the hindrance. There's part one. If we're gonna run the race with determination, we gotta lay aside the hindrance. That word, lay, that phrase, lay aside there in verse one means to put off or to renounce or to give up. To put off. See, in Greek training, athletes had to remove every piece of unnecessary equipment if they were gonna compete at max level, bare essentials only. And here, in our spiritual race. Here's what it means for us today when he says this. Put off every weight. It doesn't mean that these are things that are not necessarily sinful, but they're not necessarily helpful for growing in Christ. Lay aside the weight. Not necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but not helpful for your walk in the Lord and in growing in Christ's likeness for your own discipleship or, as we're called to make disciples, for the discipleship of others. Where are we using our freedom that others may stumble? Think about it. Maybe. Is it, is it really helpful to binge watch Netflix? Is it really helpful for our Christ likeness to focus on that so much? Or how about this? We get into this habit. Anyone? Anyone? Just inordinate amounts of time taking in the media of the world. The next news story, the next is, hey, I'm all for the news, but is it consuming us? It's leading us to fear and anxiety. Stop. Are we just consumed? Where are our eyes? You know what? Take up this Take up that time every time you want to look at your phone, take it and phone one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You got the phone in your hand anyway, and pray for them. Stir them up. But lay aside the weight. Where are you just consumed? Where are we not making the best use of the time? Maybe it's that hobby. Maybe it's eating unhealthy. We're not eating for the long haul. We're not stewarding our bodies faithfully. Maybe it's our speech, the sarcastic speech that we use. Is it helpful to other people in growing them in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit? Maybe we're not resting enough. We're just burning the candle at both ends, eating that bread of anxious toil, as the psalmist says. What, do you, what weight do you need to shed? It's just not helpful to keep your eyes on Jesus. Here's the second thing. Notice the text. Lay aside every weight, and then it is, and sin, which clings so closely. We've got to put off every weight, but we've got to put off every sin. The, the term there, cling so closely, means that easily ensnares us. It hinders. It's a major burden in the spiritual race, and we must contend with it daily. Here's the truth. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. Sin, no matter how many excuses we make for it, no matter how alluring it looks, sin will never lead you to look more like Jesus. It will never lead me to look more like Jesus. That grumbling, the complaining, the gossip, it will never lead me to look more like Jesus. It ensnares me. The selfishness, the greed, it will never lead you and I to look more like Jesus, but it will ensnare us. This is why John Owen, he said it this way, be killing sin or it will be killing you. Killing your love for the Lord and a perseverance in His power. What sin do you need to lay aside and cast on the Lord and confess and repent of and shed the weight with no more excuses? What is that? Just write it down. Take a moment. If you're not sure, ask the Holy Spirit. He will show you. Maybe it's the self pity we live with. Maybe it's our unbelief. Maybe it's our lack of self control or contentment with where God has us. Maybe it's an addiction. Love for self, pride. Here, here's where we start. Right here, right with the psalmist. In Psalm 139, 23, 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And test
1: my anxious thoughts. And see where the offensive ways are in me. And lead me in the path everlasting. That's
0: where it starts. Just ask him. And if you want to do business with the Lord, he'll do business with you. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Because if we don't, we won't endure faithfully and our love for Christ will grow cold. Okay, so if we're going to run with determination, the first thing we see there from verse one is we've got to lay aside the hindrance. And the second thing we see is this, we must run ahead. So after we lay aside the hindrance, we run ahead with endurance. The term run there in the Original Greek means this, to advance speedily and to make progress with full effort. To advance speedily. No apathy. Not just, well, I'll obey Jesus when I get around to it. Delayed obedience is just disobedience. When I get around to it, well, I'll think about it later. No, 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 no apathy. Advance speedily, loved ones. We're not called to just passively endure this world. The Old Testament saints from chapter 11, they were commended for active faithfulness. Active faithfulness. And notice where it says, uh, and let us run with endurance the race. The race there, this is where we get the word race. It's where we get our English word agony from. Does that sound appealing to anyone? Agony. Agony. It means to struggle and Fight the good fight of the faith, First Timothy 6, 11 and 12. The Christian life is not a playground, it is a battleground. Loved ones, and we are called to fight the good fight of the faith, not in our own strength, but in the power of the one who has overcome. And the word endurance, oh, I love this, just circle, it's loaded. And let us run with endurance the race. The word endurance there means with steadfastness not gonna compromise. It's gonna be, the temptation's coming. It, it might be tempting at times, but I'm not gonna compromise. There's a steadfastness. There's a constancy patiently remaining under the challenges God allows as he enables you. I wanna encourage you with this phrase in the text right here. Let us run with endurance. The race goes back to the text right there. That is set before us. That should encourage every one of us. Give that a highlight. Here's what that means. It means this, be comforted. Our race is appointed and placed by God. He knows where we are. He knows where we need to go to reach the goal of maturity and Christlikeness, and he knows how to get there. Be encouraged. He is faithful. Will you run with endurance? See, to persevere in faith, we must have an uncommon focus and run the race with determination. And if we are to run this race faithfully, final point today is this. We must, ready? Look to Jesus with exaltation. Exalting him over all. See, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. The question facing you and I is this. Will we look to him? Where's our focus? Let's read verse two. Keep going. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the writer finishes here by saying that if we are to run with endurance, it cannot be on our own strength. Does that comfort anybody? Hey, We can't white-knuckle this. We're in a lot of trouble if we leave here. And I don't want you to leave here saying, okay, I'm just going to work harder to run after Jesus. You're failed by the time you get cut off in traffic. We can't run the race on our own strength. And as such, we must look to Jesus. Okay, circle the term look. This is key. This is the whole crux of the passage. The term look there means to focus and gaze upon to focus, to behold, to gaze upon undivided attention, to look away from all else that would distract us and look beyond our present circumstance to Jesus who is over it. Lift up your eyes, loved one. Lift up your eyes to Jesus. See your situation right now in light of the one who's Lord over it. Jesus over all. I love how one of my seminary teachers, um, Dr. Mueller, he said it this way. I just love this about this text. He says, the great cloud of witnesses encourages and inspires us. But the one who keeps us in the race is Christ alone. Be inspired by the Old Testament. But don't bank on Moses for you finishing well. Be inspired by what God has done. But the one who keeps us in the race is Christ alone. How does he do this? Look at the text. Go back to the text. Two truths. It says Jesus, first off, is the founder of faith. The word founder, loved ones, means the author, the source, the foundation. The perfect example, the leader. The leader. He pioneered. I love this, the picture here he gives. Jesus pioneered the way for others to follow. Live this way. Follow me. He has run the race before. And completed it perfectly. And it is from him that our faith comes from. Oh Lord increase our faith. Amen. Lord increase our faith. Help our unbelief. And Jesus is ready to give us all that we need at all times. And in all things. For the race that is ahead of us. But he doesn't stop there. He says he's the founder of our faith. You see how else he's described in the text. Go back to verse 2. He is the perfecter. Of our faith. See, here's what this means. In every part of his earthly life, even as a young kid, Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived by faith, perfectly obeying the Father's will. Every moment, even to the point of suffering the most shameful and humiliating death one could on a cross to pay the penalty for the sin of the world. The greatest penalty of sin is separation from God in hell for eternity. And Jesus paid the penalty, died, rose again three days later taking the wrath of God upon himself and now offers freedom, forgiveness of sin, and new life to all those who repent of their sin and trust him as their Lord and Savior. You do not have to run the race alone anymore. The most shameful and humiliating death one could And yet, notice the text. It said Jesus knew the cross was coming. He knew the separation from the Father was coming. And yet he despised the shame of it. The term despised there means he disregarded it. He thought little of the cross. Because why? You say, but why? That's like the greatest form of torture you could ever have. And separation from perfect intimacy with God. He despised it. Thought little or nothing of it. Why? Because he looked beyond it. You see that? He looked beyond it, the eternal focus, the eternal perspective. As he looked at what was ahead, he saw the cross in view of the joy of heaven that awaited him when he would be exalted and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Eternal perspective, loved ones. See, Jesus was so focused on the delight of heaven, even the shame. Of the death on a cross, couldn't touch it. Despised it. He was so focused on the joy of heaven that awaited him. Loved one, are you focused? Child of God, are you focused on the joy of heaven that awaits you? Are you? It's so easy to get our eyes off that and to think this is as good as it gets and this is all there is. Listen, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. You are a citizen of heaven. There is the delight of heaven, the intimacy with Jesus that is awaiting you. And Jesus is looking to this. Are we looking to this? This is the uncommon focus. This world says, focus on the next news report. Focus on your next stock and and how to get out of that before the market crumbles and this and that. and And Jesus is like, focus here. I'm over all of that. I will care for you. I will care for you. Focus. And now he has gone before us, and through his perfect work, he stands ready to open the arsenal of heaven and give us all we need to see our faith brought to completion. When we stand with that great cloud of witnesses, can you picture it, church? With the great cloud of witnesses and see Jesus face to face in heaven. And we will share his glory. And we will be like him. The presence of sin removed for eternity. Is that our focus? Reminds me, one of my favorite worship songs. To remind me of this, I will read this. One day you'll make everything new. Jesus, one day you will bind every wound. The former things shall all pass away. No more tears. One day you'll make sense of it all. Jesus, one day every question resolved. Every anxious thought left behind. No more fear. One day we will see face to face. This is what he's focused on. This is what we must. Just close your eyes right now as I read this over you. We will see face to face. Jesus, is there a greater vision of grace? And in a moment, we shall be changed on that day. And one day we'll be free Free indeed, Jesus. And one day, all this struggle will cease. And we will see your glory revealed on that day.
1: Would you like to sing with me? Let's sing the chorus. When we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be When we all see Jesus We'll sing and shout the victory One more time, let's go. When we all get to heaven what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see jesus we'll sing and shout the victory you see it on the screen.
0: Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work, the founder of your faith, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Behold the perfecting work of our Savior. And I want you to think, when you leave here, everything you face right now or will ever face, every trial, every situation, whatever's waiting for you tomorrow morning, every temptation, every temptation of fear or anxiety, discouragement or despair, every bit of doubt, every bit of unbelief, I want to encourage us. Jesus has gone before you. Jesus has gone before you. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you think of that event or that conversation you need to have, and you're like, Jesus has gone before me already. He's gone before me. And he's been tempted in every way you and I have ever been or ever will be and yet did not sin. He is the perfecter of faith and stands ready to give you all you need for life and godliness no matter what you face and is committed to your perfection which will be completed on the day he returns. Amen, loved ones? You press on. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of faith, are you looking to him? And if you're here and you've never confessed... Jesus Christ is your personal savior. Here's his call to you today. I'm gonna press on in this race. You're done walking alone? You're done? Because Jesus stands ready to forgive you, to repent of your sin, turn away from it, and to confess him as Lord and savior of your life. And today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. He stands ready to save. And brothers and sisters, Here's our challenge. Will you look to and exalt him at all times and all things? In the word? Through worship, through prayer, in humility, teachability, dependency, in obedience in his power? Not trusting in yourself, but humbling yourself and desperately drawing near to him, crying out, Lord, increase my faith. Help my unbelief. I choose to look to you, to the joy of heaven that is waiting. When I'm facing, grant me the strength to look to and follow you, knowing that you will be faithful and continually perfect the work that you've begun. And be encouraged with this as we close. You can rest assured that God will draw near to the desperate every time. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, the author, the perfecter of our faith, Thank you that you have not left us to ourselves. Thank you that you don't just call us to run this race with determination and lifting you high in exaltation in our lives every moment of every day, but you empower us to do that. Thank you that through your death and your resurrection, you give us all we need through life and godliness for those who repent of their sin and confess you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, fix our eyes on you afresh today, that we would run the race with determination And look to you with exaltation at all times and all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.